Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back, everyone. On today's show, we hear the two birth stories from holistic health coach and postpartum doula, Olivia. Although Olivia is a registered nurse, she admits to knowing very little about birth and the preparation needed to support a positive birth experience when she became pregnant with her first child. She got lucky, though, when a friend of hers recommended she join the hospital's midwifery-led care model, crediting that continuity of care for her positive hospital birth experience. Left feeling confused by the lack of positive birth stories she was exposed to and innately questioning the need to birth in a hospital, she dives deeply into the physiology of birth and what environment is best to support the natural hormonal flow of labor, ultimately choosing to birth her second child at home. Although she had two positive birth experiences, Olivia shares the contrast between her two births and the insights she gained on reflection. Enjoy. Olivia, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Sky. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Do you want to just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Olivia and I live in Sydney, New South Wales. Um, I am married to my beautiful and incredible husband and we have two little girls. Um, My eldest, she's almost four years old, actually, and... My youngest, she's 10 months old. Beautiful. And were both of those pregnancies (laughs) planned? Yes, both were planned. Amazing. Yeah. Was there anything you did in the lead up to conception to sort of get your body ready for pregnancy and birth? With my first pregnancy, um, I actually, so I had just finished doing a holistic health coaching course um, when I was first trying to get pregnant. So a lot of my knowledge around food and nutrition and things, I, you know, I was like I was quite a fit and healthy person leading up to that pregnancy, um, and so was my husband. So I didn't really prepare, like more consciously, if that makes sense, for that pregnancy because I already had that, I guess, nutrition and fitness behind mm-hmm. it. Um, and when we were trying to fall pregnant, no, we didn't really do anything. <laughs> I don't think we really knew what we were doing. If that makes yeah. sense. 
so we're just kind of like hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, I was tracking my menstrual cycle. Um, so I was using that sort of method to try and figure out when the best window would be to, um, yeah, to fall pregnant. So I think it took us maybe one or two months and I was, yeah, pregnant straight away awesome. pretty much. And then for the second one, it was a little bit of a different journey. Um, because I, I did fall pregnant straight away when we decided to fall pregnant. But unfortunately, that, that first pregnancy ended up as a miscarriage. Mm, um, so when we were trying to fall pregnant again the second time around, um, it was a bit more difficult actually to fall pregnant. I think it was my body's way maybe of saying that I wasn't quite ready yet mm. um, to have another baby. So it took us a little bit longer yeah for that second pregnancy but yeah I didn't really do much except yeah follow my menstrual cycle yeah okay and should we start with your first daughter how was that pregnancy for you um it was an okay pregnancy um the first trimester I was really sick um as most people are and the nausea was non-stop that first trimester um it was all day and all night I remember having to sleep propped up on pillows Mm. (laughs) you you know to help with that nausea and then I think it was about maybe six or eight weeks in the vomiting started but it was quite consistent it was always in the morning so every time I broke the fast of the night I just seemed to vomit Um, and that was pretty much every single day until I hit I think maybe oh gosh, like 14 or 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I felt really fabulous. Um, Yeah, I felt really, really good. And then the end of my pregnancy, when I was pregnant with Chloe, um, we had a really, really hot summer. And it was one of those summers where it was a really long, Mm. long summer. (laughs) So my entire third trimester, I was in this like really hot summer heat So I was really swollen and I had a lot of fluid everywhere, like in my face. If you look at photos of me, my face was so puffy. You know, my legs were so swollen, (laughs) like everything was swollen and it was just hard to move around. Um, Yeah, so that was not fun. The heat was not fun (laughs) during that that last bit of the pregnancy. Mm. So being your first pregnancy, was there anything you knew about birth and was there anything you did to sort of prepare yourself for your birth? Yeah, sure. So actually, my background is I'm a registered nurse. Um, I've been working in uh, cardiothoracic intensive care for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I know the hospital system quite well. But in terms of birth, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, You know, that whole side of midwifery and everything, I didn't know anything. So coming into the whole birth experience, I have to say I was very, very underprepared. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't know that I had to be prepared, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I wasn't, yeah, I was the first person out of all the friends and family to even be pregnant and having a child. So I didn't really have anyone to bounce off. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that I did know, obviously my working family, Um, A lot of their experiences were very traumatic Mm. um, and there was a lot of traumatic stories that were coming out of there. And I guess also being a holistic health coach, you know, um, you do because it's all about lifestyle and health and nutrition and all of that. I and also it's about self-development, self-awareness. 
I learnt that although these people had these traumatic stories, I didn't want it to be and affect my birth, even mm-hmm. though I didn't know what I was getting into, I didn't want it to affect my birth, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, the only education that I did, which is probably not great considering I wanted, you know, as natural as possible birth, um, I did the hospital-based education on my first one, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's great if you want to know what they do in the hospital and things, but um, I would not really recommend it now (laughs) and um, also I do remember when I was pregnant with Chloe I do remember saying to my husband I'm like I do not understand why I have to give birth in a hospital you know I work in a hospital I look after sick people I'm not a sick person I remember saying this to him you know I'm like why can I not give birth at home where I feel the most comfortable. Mm. But at this time, yeah, at this time when I said those words, I didn't know anybody who had done home birth. Home birth was not something that in my world was common, if Mm. that makes sense. Like, so, which is why I opted and was comfortable with the hospital birth because, yeah, that's just what everybody did, right? So I didn't know that anything else existed. But it was just funny when I was reflecting that that's the thought that I had, Mm. um, that I just wanted to give birth at home. Mm, Those instincts kicking in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you obviously birthed in the hospital, but what model of care did you end up choosing? Yeah, sure. So actually, I, the way that my, um, how everything happened, it was really based on luck, which I would never recommend. But it's because honestly, I honestly did have like I had no knowledge about about the whole birthing world so I just went to my GP you know I said I wanted to give birth and she said great what's your nearest hospital which was the hospital I was working at as well and I was happy to give birth there and I just thought you know the GP will send off all my information to the hospital and then I just do a few checks for the hospital then I give birth at the hospital I didn't know there was anything different mm-hmm. but by chance I actually had a friend who was also my beautician and she used to live very close to me and then she moved very far away. And when I was probably about five weeks pregnant, I went to see her um, in her new place and I never would have told anybody I was pregnant till 12 weeks, but she by chance told me, oh, I'm 11 weeks pregnant. And so I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, oh, I'm also pregnant. And then she said to me, um, oh my gosh, you have to get onto my midwife because that was her second pregnancy. And she said she had a caseload midwife, um, for her first. And she said it was the best thing ever. And I was a bit like, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to text the midwife and I'll tell her you're pregnant. She'll take you on as a caseload. And I'm like, okay. And I thought it was the strangest thing because in my world, you don't communicate with the nurses like that. Mm. So I thought, what is she doing? But um, so for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, like the caseload program, that's what it's called in my main hospital, but it's it's the midwifery-led program. It's that continuity of care. So um, I was very lucky that um, I even said that to my friend at the time who put me onto her caseload midwife. And because I was so early, I was only five weeks pregnant, you know, she had a space and I think that's what really, I think that experience was why I ended up having a pretty good first birth. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it was absolutely amazing, but it was a pretty good first birth and it pretty much ticked most of the things that I wanted anyway. So, but you know, 
I mean, it's great that you have these podcasts and things that people can listen to and know that, you know, stuff like midwifery-led programs exist because if you're wanting a hospital birth, it's probably the best and closest thing that you're going to have to anything that you would wish for, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So, yeah. So should we jump to the end of your pregnancy and that first sign of labour? Yeah, first signs of labour. Man, I was having Braxton Hicks contractions for probably about two weeks. Um, And this is where things were a little bit different with my first and I didn't really understand compared to my second. Mm -hmm. So my midwife actually gave me probably, I think it was like three stretch and sweeps leading up to my Mm labour. I didn't know why she was doing them. I just trusted her um, and... Like, they were very uncomfortable, but it wasn't a particularly traumatic experience for me. But reflecting on it, I could see how, you know, my labor potentially would have started earlier, if that makes sense. Yeah. So because of these stretch and sweeps, I was having, like, Braxton Hicks um, and sometimes even regular contractions probably for about two weeks before I gave birth. So it was, like, continuous, you know, preparation of my body for two weeks. Um, and I was probably three centimeters dilated for about over a week. Um, and I think it may have to do with those stretch and sweeps that I was getting. Mm -hmm. Um, so the day that I went into labor, I woke up in the morning and by the way, my mucus plug and everything had already gone a couple of days before. Um, but the day that I woke up, I felt very different. I can't explain it. It's just kind of like, I don't know, you just get this feeling that something is not right. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had it with my second as well. And um, and I remember waking up, my husband was still asleep and I went to the bathroom and I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm getting all these like period cramping sort of, you know, pain. Um, I just felt really uncomfortable. And then my waters broke actually on the toilet, <clears throat> but it wasn't a gush, it was like a trickle. So I wasn't even sure if that's what the waters were. But every time I'd walk around, they were sort of like trickling out. It's like the head was like the plug, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then every time I moved, the head would bop up and then a little bit of, you know, the water would come out. So I was like, okay, I think this is my waters breaking. Um, so that was sort of my first sign. Um, so I messaged my midwife and I said to her, look, um, I don't know if, I'm going to go into labor or not at this point I didn't really have any contractions or anything um but I just said to her I think my waters have broken and she goes okay we'll come into hospital and we'll get you checked out um so we went into hospital I think it was just after midday and I was starting to get a few contractions but they weren't very strong they were not very regular at all um, and she put me on the, the monitor to see, you know, how my contractions were going and things. And she did tell me, she's like, you know, they're not um, very strong. And she actually said to me, you probably won't give birth today. And I was like, oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> um, but they still had to do an ultrasound and things like that just to check and, you know, make sure that it was actually my waters that had broken because she wasn't very convinced mm-hmm. that it was my waters. Um, and they found that there was like, pretty much no water left. So they did say to me, they're like, you know, I don't think you will go into labor today because your contractions are so weak. And I was still only three centimeters dilated, which is what I have been for like a week. Mm -hmm. Um, But they said, you know, in 24 hours, if you don't, then we'll have to induce you, you know, 
the stories that they say. And I was like, okay, not knowing any better, I was like, okay, that's fine. And I got home and I had lunch and I was only home for probably about 50 minutes and my contractions started to really ramp up. Um, and they were getting really strong and really intense. And I got into the shower and then I said to my husband, I'm like, oh man, I really feel like I need to push. And at this point, I think it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock. Um, and I'm like, I think we need to go back into the hospital. And my midwife was really surprised to see that I had come back, but my labor had progressed really quickly. And um, she did check on me and I was about five centimeters. So she's like, okay, you are progressing <laughs> as if you can't tell anyway, because of, you know, the way I was, um, my contractions were pretty strong. And I remember, cause I wanted a water birth. I really wanted a water birth. Um, it just sounded really nice to me at the time. And I remember getting into hospital and my hospital is actually one of the major hospitals in Sydney. So it's a very busy hospital. And um, I remember coming in and there was no room for me. And she said, I'm so sorry. Like there's, there's no rooms for you at the moment. Mm. So I had to stay in the treatment room and I'm like, to be perfectly honest, I don't really care. But I did start like the overwhelm of my contractions because I wasn't fully prepared. Like I do remember when I was pregnant, I'm like, I really would love to learn some breathing techniques. I have no idea what labor is going to be like, but I wish I really wanted to learn breathing techniques. So when I did the hospital course, I was hoping they would teach some kind of breathing techniques, which of course they didn't. Mm. So when I, you know, when I was in that treatment room, I didn't really know what to do with my body. I didn't know how to breathe. And I started to panic a little bit. And straight away I said to my husband, I'm like, I think I want an epidural. (laughs) And my husband's like, come on, Olivia, you know, um, you said you wanted to try and do this naturally. Let's just go to the next step and get some gas. So, you know, I had a little bit of gas and that made me feel a bit better. But anyway, what ended up happening was they did find a room for me, which was really good. Um, And they moved me into the room and because it was just cleaned and everything done, they had to fill up the bath. So that took a really long time to fill up because those baths are really big. So I was laboring on the side of the bed. So my knees were like on the floor and I was just leaning on the bed. And I remember that I just wanted something really hot on my back, like really, really hot to the point where I said to my husband, just boil the kettle and pour it on my back. (laughs) And he's like, I can't do that. I'm going to burn your skin. But I just felt like I needed something super hot on my back to help me get through the contractions. And then by the time the bath was ready, um, my midwife said, you know, you can hop into the bath if you want to. And I was just like, no, I'm happy on the floor. I'm just going to stay here on the floor. I was happily suckling away on my gas. And I just wanted to stay on the floor. And my husband's like, you know, come on, Olivia, you said this whole time you wanted a water birth. Let's just get in. And I was like, okay, fine. So I reluctantly went in. But I have to say, as soon as I got into that bath, oh, man, the contractions were not as bad. Like, they seemed more tolerable for me. Mm -hmm. But I was still, like, sucking away on that gas um, way too much. And I started to actually get very um, delusional. I thought I had already given birth, even though I hadn't. And then I started to feel very faint. And I thought I was going to faint in the bath. And I freaked out a bit. And in the end, my midwife's like, we're going to have to take the gas away because, you know, you're not really coordinating anything. Like I wasn't doing 
<laughs> what I was meant to be doing. Yeah. Um, so she took that away and that was probably the best thing because when I was in that transitional phase and then um, about to push the head out, so I had no gas or anything, everything had already lifted and I was really able to focus. And I really went into that um, primal mind where I wasn't, I couldn't hear anything, I couldn't really see anything. I was just focusing on giving birth pretty much to my baby. So um, yeah, all things considered, it went pretty quick. So like I said, I got to hospital around four or five o'clock and I ended up giving birth. It was like 8.24 in the evening. So yeah, not not too bad for a first-time birth. Yeah, absolutely. You did an awesome job. Yeah. So considering you didn't have a traumatic experience in the hospital, what was the motivation to choose home birth with your second child? Um, well, I guess because I had that mentality the first time around that I wanted to do it at home. Yeah. But also, but also I think I just was reading a lot more. I had a huge interest in birth because – I think for me, like, I'm a massive academic person and I didn't understand why the people in my life had all these traumatic experiences. And although in some ways I was very lucky with the outcome that I had and it was based on luck, really, if you think about it, Mm. um, I did have quite an amazing birth. I had a beautiful water birth and I thought it was such a positive experience and I'm like, surely I cannot be the only person to have such a positive experience of birth. So I guess I started to really look into birth. I started reading about birth and other people's birth stories. And um, so the second time around, I already had quite a bit of knowledge around birth and quite a bit of knowledge about the physiology that happens during birth Mm -hmm. and how it's a lot more supportive to be in an environment where, you know, you don't have, like you're very comfortable. There's not all the stresses around you, how that really supports you know, labor and the progression of labor and how that supports oxytocin and all these beautiful hormones and, um, you know, all that knowledge that I didn't have the first time around. So um, the second time as well, it was a little bit difficult to convince my husband to do a home birth, um, even though I really wanted one. So I booked us in for a hypnobirthing course and the hypnobirthing course, oh my gosh, if I know anybody who's pregnant <laughs> the first time around, I'm like, you do a hypnobirthing course. Don't even worry about the hospital <laughs> hospital course because it is really good and it teaches you all those techniques and um, and it teaches you as well different places that you can birth because a lot of people don't know that different places exist, like giving birth at home or a birth centre or the hospital. Like there's different options. Um, anyway, so doing the hypnobirthing course, you know, my husband, I guess he learned a lot about what it means to birth, um, all those things that I sort of just spoke about. And also I think what hit the nail in the coffin, I guess you want to say is the fact that we had two midwives, um, that attended that hypnobirthing course. And one of them, I don't know what the second one ended up doing. I don't know if she did that at home or if she did that um, in the hospital she worked in. But the first midwife that we spoke to, she actually said that she hired a private midwife and she was doing it at home. And I was so interested in that. I'm like, why? Why is that? And she goes, because there's no way that I would give birth in the hospital. Wow. And I found that very interesting. I'm like, wow, if that doesn't speak volumes and I don't know what does yeah and 
you know, I also want to be sensitive here because mm. not everyone can have a home birth. I'm not saying that it's the gold standard because it's not. You know, there are some women who are just not able to and they have to have a hospital birth. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I did have a very positive hospital birth, but I think what helped was the fact that I had that continuity of care through the one midwife. I think that was very helpful. And I guess if you can't have that, then, you know, hiring someone like a doula who can support you through your birth and be there for you is probably the next best thing that you could do. Um, so I actually ended up, um, when I found out I was pregnant with my second one, I texted my midwife who I had the first time around and she told me that she didn't work at that hospital anymore. However, she knew of people who obviously were working there and she, because she already knew me and she knew I was very into, you know, doing everything naturally and, you know, um, possibly wanting a home birth. She actually introduced me to another midwife um, that worked at the hospital who was doing home births. So it was still through the caseload program with the hospital, but it was a home birth program. yeah. Yeah, and I was actually pretty lucky because I was probably, I think I was like the 12th or 13th person to have had a home birth. So it was a very new program. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping they're obviously a lot further in with the birth program now, but Yeah, it was really fantastic. So I thought that's great because, to be honest, if I wasn't able to get a caseload, I would have definitely hired a private midwife to do it at home. So either way, I would have done it at home. Did you have to work through any fears in the lead up to this birth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I, To be honest, I was very strong in my stance about giving birth at home. It wasn't so much the fear of my body not being able to do it. It was more the fear actually of other people's opinions impacting on yeah. my mental space when I went into labor at home, if that makes sense. Yes. That was my biggest fear. The thing that I um, that I ended up doing was I didn't tell anybody I was having a home birth, like yeah. no one. And I even told my midwife this. I said, look, um, I haven't told anybody that I'm having a home birth except for obviously my partner. Um, because I just know, like, I love, you know, my family, but I just didn't want, you know, their concerns and their whatever to be, yeah, at my forefront and in my mind. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I didn't end up saying anyone. And I think in a way that really protected, I guess, the space when we went into the whole labor at home. I mean, it was a bit hard because then I'm like, well, how do I organize, you know, my daughter and everything? Like, how how am I going to do this? You know, because the whole time I was like, yeah, 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 I'm going to the hospital. (laughs) And then my mom's like, well, do you want me to come and stay? Like, and I was like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? (laughs) Like, how is this going to work out? But anyway, it worked out. Yeah. So should we jump to that first sign of labor with her? Yeah, so a little bit different. I didn't have very many Braxton Hicks or anything like that leading up to this one. Um, I did have like a week or so where I was feeling a bit, you know, crampy or and I thought, oh, is this it, is this it? But no, (laughs) (laughs) it was nothing. So I hit my 40 weeks and there was still really no signs and – you know, my midwife was telling me, like, I was pretty comfortable 
But the only problem is, you know, because she does work in the hospital, they still do have their policies and procedures, right? Mm -hmm. So she did say to me, you know, if you're over 41, then we'll probably have to do this in the hospital. So that's when I started to get a little bit worried. But at the same time, I didn't want to stress too much about it because I'm like, I know my body will just do what it needs to do when the right time. So, um, I was exactly 41 weeks when, um, when I went into labor and the day just started out like a normal day. Um, my husband was meant to go into work and he works probably about 40 minutes away from home. But I just said to him and my daughter was at daycare that day. And I said to him, look, can you maybe work from home? Because I don't know. I, it's probably not today because I had this feeling for a couple of days now and I'm like, it's probably not today, but I just, I don't know. Can you just stay at home? And he goes, yeah, sure. I'll work from home. And, um, I was just doing the normal things. I made dinner, I cleaned the house, you know, and I just started to get these real mild contractions and they were actually quite regular. And I called my mom and I said to her, um, I think you're going to have to pick up Chloe from daycare um, I don't know if this is labor. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I just feel like, you know, something might happen today. And the worst case is we can always just pick her up from your place. And so she's like, yeah, that's fine. No problem. And then I said to my husband, I'm like, I think you need to go and, um, give like an overnight stay bag to my parents' house, like drop it off at their house. Cause both my parents were working and he, it's funny because <laughs> my husband was a bit annoyed with me. He's like, are you sure you're in labor? Like, is this really it? I'm like, look, I don't know. I have no idea, but I do feel a bit different. And he was a bit annoyed that he had to finish work early <laughs> to like do all these things. And I'm like, please just drop off the bag just in case. Cause I just don't know. And by the time he came back, like I, yeah, the contractions were very regular and they were really coming on. And I said, look, I think you need to finish up work because I think this is it. And I didn't really message my midwife because I didn't want to, I don't know, I just, I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just still not 100% sure. And my husband's like, look, just text her, let her know what's happening just in case. Oh, and I forgot to mention, sorry, that morning as well, my mucus plug came out as well. So that was sort of a sign. Mm-hmm. But my waters hadn't broken, nothing like that had happened yet. And so I messaged her and she's like, okay, what are your contractions? And I hadn't been timing anything. Like, I'm terrible. Like, really, I was the worst. I'm like, I have no idea. I think they're like, I think my contractions are lasting maybe 15 seconds and they're like a minute apart. And she's like, oh, okay, we have plenty of time. She's like, I'm just going to go home, have something to eat, and then I'll come. And I'm like, okay, great. And my husband is looking at me and he's like, Olivia, you're contractions are not 15 seconds I'm like what do you mean and he timed me my contractions were actually a minute and they were probably about you know um how long like 10 or 15 seconds apart like they were very close and I was like oh my gosh okay so I messaged that to her and she's like oh my gosh I'm gonna come straight away and luckily she said to my husband she's like you know maybe you should start unpacking the pool because I wanted another water birth she's like maybe just unpack it blow it up start getting some water in before I come and he's like okay no problem so at this point I was just trying to find a comfortable spot um, and I ended up just sort of um, being on 
all fours or leaning against the couch while my husband was blowing up the birth pool in the middle of our living room. And they were pretty intense, but the hypnobirthing training, like I absolutely loved it. Even though it was my second birth, I was really just focusing on my breath. I was focusing on the hypnobirthing track that I had as well, playing um, and all of that really just helped and just positive affirmations. Uh, you know, I can do this, you know, I've done this before, you know, um, I'll meet my baby soon. So things like that really, really helped me. Mm-hmm. But um, but my labor was coming super fast and my midwife came and she, you know, saw me and I remember her saying to my husband, oh, she does not have long to go. And I started to freak out a little bit because like the contractions were so heavy when I was outside of the water and I just wanted to get into the water. And I was like, please, is that pool like ready yet? And they're like, oh my gosh, no, we haven't really filled it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to give birth on the side of the couch. (laughs) Like I really want to get in the water. But anyway, I just was focusing on my breathing and then like my waters broke and it was like the whole gush thing that you see in the movies um, that kind of happened. And then I was expecting after my waters to break, because a lot of people say, I've heard stories where, you know, people have had their waters manually broken and they say that after it's been broken, their contractions intensify. And for me personally, when my waters broke, I was waiting for that to happen and it didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I just, they were just sort of, they felt the same. But the intensity, like as in the heaviness was getting worse and worse. And I'm like, okay, I just really need to get in the water. Yeah. So the poor midwife and Michael were like running around trying to fill it up as fast as they could. They had the hose. They had buckets that they were putting in there. And then I eventually got in. Um, and I think it was maybe like an hour or so in the water and I gave birth. Um, it was it was pretty it was pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Being a quick birth, did you find it more intense? Well, interestingly, it no, um, it was actually okay. And I think what I put it back to, compared to the first time round, I felt like my contractions and everything were intense. Like I felt like I want to use the word pain here, Mm -hmm. even though I know it's not a word you should really be using, but it it was a lot more painful the first time round than the second time round. And when I reflect on it, I put it back to, I think it's just that oxytocin. Like my oxytocin was interrupted my first pregnant, uh, sorry, my first birth because I was in the hospital I was stressing out. I was freaking out. I didn't know what I was doing with my body. Yeah. Whereas the second time round, I was at home. I was comfortable. You know, I was. I knew what to do the second time round, um, and I think that oxytocin just really helped dull down probably what the intensity would have been if if I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the only thing I can really put it down to. I mean, was it was it hard? Of course it was hard. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't easy. Um, I had to do a lot of self-talk in my head that I can do this. And, you know, and when you're in that transitional phase, it's always I want to give up now, you know. Um, so I experienced all of that, obviously, and it was very difficult. But, yeah, it was, it was a great birth. Yeah. And what about your placenta? Yeah, so um, this happened to me the first and the second time. So after I gave birth to my first daughter, um, I started to bleed a lot into the bath. And because you can't measure the amount of blood, 
my midwife gave me the um, the injection to get the placenta out faster. So that was my first birth. In my second birth, um, I the same thing happened, but I didn't tear the second time round. So I was a bit confused because I'm like, I don't know where this blood is coming from because I didn't tear. Mm-hmm. Um, but my midwife freaked out. So I had the injection as well and my placenta came out um, pretty quickly after that. But what it ended up being was my baby just had a massive meconium after I, I gave birth. And it just looked like mm-hmm. it was just so dark and whatever. It just looked like blood. So um, the first time round, I did ask with the placenta that I wanted um, to have delayed cord clamping. But I didn't realize at the time that when you say you want delayed cord clamping, they just leave it for a minute and then they cut it. I didn't know that. So the second time around, I was very adamant. You know, I'm like, I just want to leave it attached. Um, And my midwife anyway, she was so good. Like she was so aligned with a lot of what I wanted that I didn't really have to tell her. She just knew. So I gave birth to my placenta and then the placenta stayed attached for quite some time um, on my baby. I don't even know how long it was really. It was just a lot of skin to skin. Um, Yeah, the placenta was there in a bowl for quite some time until I was sort of ready to move and then we cut it. But it was a long time after. So it had already well and truly, you know, all the blood had already gone in Mm -hmm. into her. And the interesting thing was the difference in color between my two babies when I had allowed that to happen. Mm. Like my first daughter, she was, you know, she was okay, but she was a lot more pale. And my second, allowing all that blood to come in, she was so flushed and so like red and like she looked warm and, you know, it was crazy, the difference. Can you remember how you were feeling in those moments just after giving birth to her? That hormonal high that I had, it was intense. I mean, I experienced it with the first one too. I remember saying to my husband after I gave birth with Chloe, I was like, I want to do this again. I want to have another baby. He's like, oh, hold up. You know, we just went through this. And then the second time around, also, I was so elated and I was just so thankful to the – like I remember saying to the midwives, I'm like, you know, this is amazing. I would love – women to feel this way and again you know I'm not saying it has to be a home birth setting for women to feel like this but I just it was just this you know listening to those traumatic birth stories and then having that experience and feeling that way I was like why can't women feel this way like no matter which way they choose to birth and that kind of you know led me down this path where I then decided to look into becoming a doula and because I was just so like I just became so passionate about this this feeling and I just wanted to protect that feeling and Mm. I wanted to let women know that you can have this no matter where you birth but as long as they're you know I don't know it was just it was an amazing experience and I just felt so sad for all the stories that I had heard you know that were quite you know, traumatic and they didn't really get to experience that. Mm. And so I guess I became very protective, protective of that, that feeling. Yeah. I feel you deeply on that one. Yes. For those that don't know, would you be able to give us a quick explanation on what a postpartum doula does? Yeah, sure. Um, so a postpartum doula, um, which is a little bit different, obviously to a birthing doula. So a lot of people commonly would know what a birthing doula is when they hear the word doula. Mm-hmm. Um, so a postpartum doula is someone who educates and supports women after they have their baby. And then depending on the individual doula's, I guess, interests and background and education, 
will really depend on how they will support you in that postpartum time. So that's in essence what what a postpartum doula is. Yeah, great explanation. Thank you. Anything special with your placentas? No, I didn't actually. I did look into it. Um, I did quite a bit of research. The research is not very clear about it. Um, And I did worry a bit that, you know, the placenta is sort of used as a like a filtration mm. so you know it, it's like built so that it filters through any toxins or whatever from getting to the baby so I worried a bit about like that aspect of it but then you know there are people that say that it's absolutely fine and there are women who take it and they say it's amazing so I didn't end up encapsulating it um but my second I don't know yeah I just didn't end up doing that mm. in the end yeah. So you obviously had two beautiful experiences, but is there anything you would do differently? I think it's more the postpartum that I'll do a bit differently. Mm-hmm. So my first postpartum, um, I ha- like I said, with the birth, I had no idea. With the postpartum, I had like I was completely clueless that I needed to prepare for the postpartum, mm-hmm. um, and it was a shock. Like I remember the entire first month of my daughter's life. I was just in shock mode. Like, I, I can't even really remember it. Mm. Luckily, I have such amazing family that were bringing me food because otherwise I don't know what we would have been eating. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah, I just didn't know that I'd need that support. And because I was breastfeeding as well, and I think this is a misconception about breastfeeding, <clears throat> people think it can be quite easy because, you know, you've got your breast there and you can just feed your baby whenever you want. But that first couple of months, when you have that newborn breastfeeding is actually very hard yeah. it's very demanding it takes up so much of your time and your energy um and i think that's what really shocked me how much time i was spending on the couch feeding this baby mm-hmm. you know and i had a particularly fussy baby too which made it really difficult and you know the not sleeping and all of that so all of that you know it just made it really really difficult so the second time around i said i do not want that postpartum experience but at that time, I didn't know about doulas. I had, as in, I sorry, I knew about doulas in the birth space. I didn't know postpartum doulas existed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, because of my research, and actually the best book that I read in my second pregnancy was, um, gosh, what is it called? The postnatal... Postnatal depletion cure? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So the postnatal depletion cure. Yeah, so that book really opened me up to like, you know, all the hormones and the depletion that you can experience. And that sort of led me down the path of learning about the first 40 days, Mm -hmm. reading about the first 40 days um, and how that impacts like your health and well-being for the rest of your life. And that really hit home for me because when I became a holistic health coach, I really wanted to start a business helping people elevate their health and wellness through nutrition and lifestyle um, because I also did a branch off into nutrition. And then later on, I did a branch off into hormone health. Um, so I really wanted to help support people in that way. But because I just had you know, one baby and that was a big shock, And then I had another baby. It sort of didn't happen and I couldn't really find, you know, who I could be supporting. Like I couldn't really find my niche, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I birthed Sophie and I was looking into working with women because, like I said, I became so protective with that space. 
I um, I started thinking, oh, maybe I should do like midwifery. It would be pretty easy for me to do midwifery. I'm already a registered nurse. I could easily become a midwife. But then I started thinking about all the things that I would have to experience to then possibly, you know, do like private midwifery or whatever to support women at home. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, So then I looked into doula and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll become a doula. And honestly, never in a hundred years, if you had asked me, even just before the birth of my child, if I'd be a doula, I would have laughed. And I said, (laughs) no way, no way. I didn't quite understand, you know, what doulas were and their place. Um, but now I have a lot of respect for them and what they are doing and how they're helping women. So I looked into that and I obviously had my 40 days rest. And then after the 40 days, I was like full into, you know, becoming a doula. I started researching. I was researching courses. And obviously in my research, that's when I stumbled upon postpartum doulas. And because of my experience in the postpartum, um, I'm like, my goodness, this is such a needed you know, a needed thing. Like I wish I had a postpartum doula, even in my second, even though I was more prepared, even though I knew I was getting myself into, I wish I had that postpartum doula support. And like my background in nutrition and, you know, I love to meditate, yoga, like massage, all of those things sort of came in to me then becoming a postpartum doula. And I already had as well exposure to Ayurveda, I love like Ayurvedic way of life. I really value, um, I guess, the wisdom from these ancient cultures Mm. and what they have to say about, you know, healing practices and bringing the body back into balance. Like I already had a lot of that knowledge before I went into this postpartum work. So then it was actually the book, um, the fourth trimester. I was reading that book during my postpartum time with Sophie and I came across the term AO doula, and it's pretty much like a postpartum doula who's trained in Ayurvedic type care. And then I went, oh, okay, maybe this is something I can look into and try to do because that just resonated with me so much. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of went down that path. So I trained as an Ayurvedic postpartum doula. Um, so a lot of the things that I do, and like I bring this all together because, um, like, As I said before, I've always wanted to elevate people's health and wellness, and that is still my main goal, but I wish to do that for women in their postpartum to help them not be depleted, you know, and to help them as much as I can through these beautiful, nourishing and supportive practices that, you know, um, yeah, come from Ayurveda and all the traditional cultures like traditional Chinese medicine culture and, um, and even Mexican culture. They have some beautiful practices too. Um, that they do for women in the postpartum. Yeah. Look at you go. You're doing such important work. Well done. (laughs) Sorry, it's a bit out of, you know, (laughs) the burning and everything, but... (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. It's all connected, isn't it? So just to wrap up the episode, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I learnt in my first pregnancy, so this is a big one, especially for first-time mums, is to always follow your gut. I don't want to say too much intuition because sometimes intuition, you know, um, we are very much taught in our society to listen to experts, listen to other people. So 
So intuition can sometimes be hard to grasp when your whole life you're told to listen to other people. So I want to say gut feeling because if you have a certain gut feeling about something, honestly, as a mother, and it's to do with your baby, you follow that feeling. The times where I haven't followed my gut in a certain situation because somebody else has told me to do something else, that is when I've regretted my decision. Mm. Um, I don't think, you know, as a mum with a new baby, yeah, if you have a certain feeling or a gut feeling about something, it won't lead you astray. It's generally for a reason. Um, yeah, and that's probably my my biggest biggest thing that I can give, especially yeah, to first time first time mothers. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for coming on today and sharing all your birth wisdom with us. No problem. Thank you so much for allowing me, yeah, to speak. It's been a pleasure. That brings us to the end of today's episode, everyone. Such a beautiful journey with two positive birth stories in two different environments. A couple of takeaways from this episode for me, I really resonated with Olivia keeping her birth choices private. We need to be aware of the energy we consume in all aspects when preparing mentally for your journey. And one of the biggest things is projected fears from other people. It's so important to protect your mental space from these kinds of opinions. So I guess it's up to you to consider this when sharing your birth preferences with certain people. Because even though most of these comments aren't made with malicious intent, they can still have such a huge impact. Something else that Olivia touched on today was stretch and sweeps and how looking back she was able to recognize the strong Braxton Hicks or early labor signs those stretch and sweeps brought on for her. I can speak from experience on this with my first daughter's birth when I had multiple stretch and sweeps that brought on false labor for a week. This can be really discouraging and tremendously affect your mental health in those final days. There's really not a lot of evidence to support whether a stretch and sweep brings on labor or if you were just simply ready to give birth. It's also important to note that this to many is still considered an intervention. So if you are planning to birth as naturally as possible, then patience is going to be your greatest practice. Reminder, your body was built to do this. Your body grew your baby. Your body knows when your baby is ready. Trust and surrender. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Let me know what you think over on the PBA Instagram and I'll see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.